Welcome to the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm Ben Anderson. I'm Chandler Holtz. From kslsports.com, giving you a breakdown on the latest with the Utah Jazz as we try to do every week. We apologize we did miss it last week with the holiday week over Thanksgiving, but happy to be back. Uh, and the Jazz have won a couple of games in a row, so we will talk about the Jazz last week. They are 2-2 two and two in that stretch. We'll talk about the Lowry Markinen injury, Walker Kessler coming back, games coming up this week. We'll look around the NBA. We'll answer your mailbag questions. And, of course, we like to give our uh, weekly grades on what's happened with the Utah Jazz. So we will talk about all of that coming up here uh, on the podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. You can find Chandler at Chandler Hold KSL. And, of course, always follow us everywhere on social media, TikTok, Instagram, X, Twitter, threads, at uh, at KSL Sports. So we appreciate you doing that. All right, Chandler, let's uh, get to the last four games for the Utah Jazz. Good place to start. The two worst games of the season, maybe? I mean, certainly the loss to Portland was the worst game of the season. They were down 32 in the fourth quarter to Portland, who at the moment, at that moment, might have been the worst team in the NBA. Jazz looked absolutely aimless. They had gotten blown out the night before by the Lakers. Will Hardy seemed somewhat distraught before the Portland game, and then even more so after some questions about just like, if you don't even want to be with the Jazz, don't put on the uniform. Essentially, it's kind of what he said. And then I thought they responded pretty well over the weekend, despite the fact that they lost Lowry Markinen uh, by beating the New Orleans Pelicans in back-to-back games. Yeah, that loss to the Blazers was definitely a bad one. But the, the big reason that you can look at why the Jazz lost is 21 to 13 turnovers. Now, we've seen more than an eight turnover difference in games before. But the kicker is 31 to nine points off turnovers in that game. And I'm pretty sure they had like 14 of their 23 turnovers in the first half or something like that. It was just a really rough game for the Jazz. Speaking of turnovers... Uh, I'm pretty sure last time we talked, they were bottom five or bottom three. But now they are officially the team that turns over the ball the most in the entire NBA. Yeah. And and if you can't get the ball at the court, you can't score. I mean, one of the things that Quinn Snyder said a lot in his time was, you know, a shot is a good thing, even if it's a bad shot, because it's better than a turnover. Like the worst shot goes in 30 percent of the time. Yep. Well, you know, you can't miss a shot that you don't take if you're turning the ball over and then so often they were what Will Hardy would call loud turnovers which is like a live ball steal by the opposing team well a steal I bet you points per possession off of a steal in the NBA are like close to one like you're gonna score basically every single time you get a steal so yeah you turn the ball over 21 times they're gonna score 21 plus points off of that and then that was killing the Utah Jazz uh and, and, and you know Keontae George has been far from a perfect player. I mean, he's not shooting the ball particularly well uh, in his rookie season. But just the basic fact that he so rarely turns the ball over gives him a ton of value for this Jazz team. And that's why he is the starting point guard right now. And and it would seems like it would be easy for everyone else to be like, well, is that the only bar? So don't give it away and I can be the starter because I'm going to score at a more efficient level than, than uh, Keontae George is. But apparently they can't do it. So Keontae continues to have that job. And I don't think he's going to lose that starting job. And I think he's the right man for it. At the moment. But the Jazz do clean it up, and they uh, they beat the New Orleans Pelicans in back-to-back games. Shocking without Lowry Markinen. I thought they were going to lose both of those. They beat the Pelicans in a game that I said was probably a scheduled victory. Chandler on Saturday night. Uh, New Orleans was in L.A. the night before. They had an 8 p.m. tip-off, or actually it was an 8.30 p.m. tip-off, and then had to come play at 7.30 here in Salt Lake. These are both mountain times that I'm talking about. So they played two games in 24 hours. The Jazz had had Thanksgiving off. And Friday off, and then Saturday. So I thought, okay, well, the NBA scheduled the Jazz a victory that they desperately needed, and they got it because clearly the Pelicans ran out of gas in the fourth quarter of Saturday's game. And then Monday, I thought, well, Zion's coming back. Jazz still don't have Lowry. It's hard to be at the same team twice in a row. Jazz are going to get spanked, and they didn't. 
Jazz played well uh, and and had two pretty complete performances for 48 minutes, I thought. Yeah, both of those Pelican games were really interesting. In the first game, the one uh, the five-point victory, 105-100, to 100, Colin Sexton was the leading scorer with 16 points in that game. Jazz had 10 more turnovers, but unlike the game against the Blazers, they only had seven more points, the Pelicans did, than the Jazz points off turnovers, and that's what sort of kept them in the game. They had good transition defense, and they were able to keep it close. However, they were trailing for the most of the game, trailed by seven at the end of the first quarter, ten at halftime, nine at the end of the third quarter, and then they go in and take a lead with eight minutes left in the fourth. Yeah, I think that's what's surprising is against Portland, you know, they were down nine, and then it was down 18, and it just it never got better other than the last three minutes of the game when they cut a 30-point 32-point deficit to 16 on meaningless baskets just because Portland sat all their guys and they already weren't playing DeAndre Ayton. So that didn't really matter. But, yeah, the Jazz just were never able to have any control over the game at all. So to be down throughout all the first three quarters of Saturday's game and come back and win and then continue to have an answer for every Pelicans run on Monday was a good sign. That's an impressive sign for a team that could have easily given up on the season. It sounds like they kind of matched the challenge that was presented by Will Hardy they're moving the ball a lot better without Lowry Markin and uh, Coach Hardy even had said like they're not just looking around for waiting for someone to save them, which is I think he was alluding obviously to Lowry's ability to just get a shot up and be seven feet tall and knock down shots consistently. But also Lowry's not a good passer. Like he shoots the ball really quickly after he gets it. And that's fine. He's the best scorer on the team and he's really efficient. But he's not a I'm going to get the ball and move it quickly and expect the ball to come back to me. He's a bit of a ball stopper. He just doesn't dribble. So it's kind of funny. To, he doesn't seem that way, but well, I mean, he's under two assists a game, I'd imagine, this year. He kind of historically has been. So the ball moves well without him on the floor. Plus, they just realize they have to hunt for better shots. Yes. Um, I, I was right with you. After that first win over the Pelicans, I wasn't thinking that they could pull out another one because you rarely see um, a team beat twice in a row when you play back-to-back games. But in that uh, second game, two-point win, Keontae had a great game. He had 19 points, led the Jazz in scoring. And here was what the stat that stuck out to me was the Jazz attempted 48 threes in that game, and the Pelicans attempted 22. Yeah, they can't get threes off without Trey Murphy or C.J. McCollum in the lineup. C.J.'s supposed to come back, I think, tonight yes. or, like, tomorrow. But uh, Trey Murphy's out for a while with his knee injury. They, You just have to shoot threes. It's it's kind of boring. It's not my favorite way to watch the NBA basketball. I, I like mid-range shots and things like that, but uh, you just got to shoot threes. You just, you, the math is simple. If you don't shoot enough threes, you're not going to score enough points. And they don't shoot enough threes. They're going to have to figure that out. They could use another big-time three-point shooter on that team. And the Jazz won the math equation there. But somewhat ironically, uh, one of the reasons the Jazz won didn't really have much to do with threes, but I do think it's pretty strongly related. Over the last two games, Will Hardy has really leaned into Omer Yurtsevin and Walker Kessler. And basically, I think other than like 40 seconds in the last two games totals, because at the end of the game they didn't have him on the floor, uh, you've had a true traditional seven-footer, an old-school big man on the floor who just kind of hangs out near the rim on both sides of the ball. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Will Hardy has said that these last two games have been their best defensive performances of the season. Now, statistically, I think the Grizzlies game early in the year was better, but the Grizzlies were just awful and are awful. The Jazz are going to see them again tonight, and it's going to make your defense look good, but they just, they're just they so bad. I'm not sure you're doing anything right. Will Hardy said they won the game because of their defense, and I think it has to do with just having a huge body near the paint to dissuade other teams from scoring. And guess what? When they aren't shooting shots at the rim, they are trying to shoot threes. But if you don't have to go and help in the paint because you're not playing little and you don't need two guys at the rim just to have rim protection, you have the seven-footer and Walker Kessler and Yurtsevin who can do it, you can stick with your man at the three-point line too. And so they're not going to take wide-open shots, which the Jazz were giving up a lot of open threes, it felt like, at, at times. So 
all of that stuff is related. It's why Rudy Gobert was so good at his job. It's not a perfect defensive system, as we learned, but uh, it's helped over the last couple of games. Something else related to that big lineup, and I thought this was interesting, the Jazz are the best offensive rebounding team in the NBA. They get 14.6 offensive rebounds a game. And going back to the turnovers, the Jazz turn the ball over the most in the NBA, but they're 18th in fast break points allowed, which I thought was kind of interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which means that they aren't really getting scored in on the fast break a lot, but uh, when they get a turnover and then they come down in their half-court offense, that's when the Jazz get scored on. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, what, what do you think? I think Walker's looked good the last two games. Yes, I think he that's has. been a big plus for the Jazz. Uh, he was so bad to start the year other than that Nuggets game. He just was shooting poorly, didn't seem to have any confidence, didn't just seem to have like the spark plays that he made all last year. Like He just would have huge energy plays at the right moment when the team needed him, whether it was a block shot, put back dunk, an and one, things like that. And he started doing that again over the last two games. Uh, and I think one of the reasons I think a lot of people would be like, well, why isn't he starting? Like He's Walker. You're not going to start Omer going forward. I think they're staggering the minutes with Walker Kessler and John Collins. Yes. I think they're trying to make sure that those guys aren't on the floor too often together. And I don't know how long that's sustainable, but uh, we knew it was going to be a weird problem going into the season, and it has been. Uh, But this has been a funny, albeit unexpected, solution. Yeah, in the past two games, his first uh, game back against the Pelicans in the five-point win, he puts up 11-11, and 11, had two blocks. And then in the game on Monday, 14-8, and eight, shoots 7-9 for nine from the field and adds two blocks again. Uh, no coincidence, 9 of 11... Nine of Walker Kessler's 11 points in Saturday's win came in the fourth quarter. John Collins didn't play a minute. Yep. It's not a coincidence. It makes sense. Uh, you got to be able to space the floor. And look, maybe John Collins can just be a three-point shooter. I don't think that's the job he wants. That's not where you get the most out of John Collins. But it might be exactly like you saw in Atlanta where they started saying, well, how do we get the most out of Clint Capella? Because we think that's more valuable. Is getting more out of Walker Kessler than John Collins more valuable for the Jazz? And that might be the debate they have to answer. And if so, it might end up hurting John Collins' game. Um, right now, the Jazz's most used lineup is Keontae George, Jordan Clarkson, Ochai, Larry Markinen, and John Collins. Okay. Yeah, yeah. well, they started a little while yeah. once Walker got hurt and, and Ochai, or, uh, and, Ochai and, and Keontae moved in. Now, Ochai has been moved out of the starting lineup and actually, I thought, responded well. Yeah. I think he was a little overwhelmed starting and felt like he was trying to play perfectly and not just play. He was just trying to do everything right and not just be Ochai. It's like, just be Ochai, dude. Just shoot threes, run really hard. Be freakishly athletic, get some chase down blocks, get some easy transition points, catch some alley-oops, dunk on Herb Jones, and everyone will like you. <laughs> and he did that, and he looked really good. Yeah, he had 12 points in the Jazz's last game, three for six from three. I like seeing him uh, getting up that many attempts. Um, speaking of that, something I liked about uh, Walker Kessler since he returned, um, in the first game against uh, the Pelicans, five fouls, and then in the second game, four fouls. If you look at his games before that, three, zero, two, and two. So use those fouls. If you're a rim protector, you want to make sure you get those fouls off. Be aggressive. Yeah, be exactly. aggressive. Block some shots. Get out there. Uh, and look, those are really hard jobs. He had to guard Zion. Zion is a is a foul vacuum. He just collects <laughs> all the fouls that are available. I think I bet you Kelly and Linick had like seven, eight fouls in the last two games and played thirty minutes total. You know, he just Zion collects a lot of fouls. And uh, Walker Kessler and Kelly Olynyk were on the wrong side of that. Uh, the other part, the other piece that we haven't talked about and everyone wants to hear about him is Keontae George. Career-high 19 points. I had tweeted out a couple of months ago, or like a month and a half ago, I think late October, so a month ago, like, Keontae George is going to score 20 points in a game coming up, and once he does, he's not going to stop. That was way off. <laughs> he can't score 20 points. Yeah. Like, he doesn't score the ball well enough at this point to score 20 points ever. He hasn't done it yet, much less consistently. So that was overly ambitious on my part. A question um, from me, and I would assume a lot of Jazz fans too, do you think that Keontae can get to like a 
45% from the field, 37, 38% from three by the end of the year? Or do you think that that's something that will happen in his sophomore or junior year? I don't think it will happen his rookie season. Yeah. I don't think he's strong enough to score in the paint, even though he looked much improved finishing at the rim. Uh, we asked Will Hardy about it after the game on Monday, and Will had said, you know, we identified that really early as a weakness in his game, essentially. Like, that's there's room for growth in his game finishing inside the paint. And that's what he's working on, you know. And not everybody is Kyrie Irving, who just has perfect touch around the rim. He's just incredible. Kyrie is. It doesn't matter how little he is, and he's not that strong, but he has perfect English on every single ball he puts up. Uh, so, no, I don't think he will get there, unfortunately. Uh, but the number will climb. He yeah. will find a little bit more efficiency. But, again, important to remember, you know, Tyrese Maxey shot 30% from the three-point line as a rookie. I'd, in fact, I'll pull up Kyrie here. I'm curious what he shot as a rookie, and I'm not trying to uh, expect Keontae George to be eight-time All-Star Kyrie Irving. I don't <laughs> think that's fair to put uh, expectations on his shoulders. Okay, Kyrie was always just freakishly effective. Uh, he was 47% from the floor and 40% from three his first year. Dang. So he was just awesome. Yeah. As soon as he got into the league, he was <laughs> awesome as a scorer, 18.5 points a game. Uh, no, Keontae's not that efficient. He's got to figure out where to get more efficient, how to finish consistently what shots he likes to take. He's just not that good in the paint yet. He's not that good around the rim, uh, and that's going to be a big piece for him. But recognizing that the Jazz weren't scoring without uh, Walker or without uh, Larry Markin, excuse me, and uh, that he needed to step it up on Monday and then was able to do it is a good sign. We can talk about this one piece of news and then take a quick break. Um, the Jazz announced yesterday that Larry Markkinen will not be traveling with the team for the upcoming road trip. Um, last Friday, he was experiencing some soreness in his hamstring. He was evaluated over the weekend and diagnosed with a left hamstring strain. Um, and then he will be reevaluated this weekend um, before... Uh, the Jazz play Portland on December 2nd. Um, I do think that there's a good chance, even if Markinen is feeling good, that he won't play in that game because after that, the Jazz have an eight-day break for the in-season tournament. Yeah, you get uh, you do get two games sprinkled in, right? They've uh, learned that they're going to be playing the Dallas Mavericks at home oh. and playing on the road at the Los Angeles Clippers. So two games did get mixed into there. But yeah, if you can give them extra time off, give them extra time off because that is only two games over an eight-day stretch, which yes. you're not going to probably get until the All-Star break. So uh, if if... It's a hamstring. You, you got to be careful with them. They yep. just they get worse. They don't get better, and it's really hard to get a hamstring back to 100 percent in season at any point without just taking a significant rest. So they're going to be very cautious with it because if you really want to make sure your season ends, rush him back and aggravate the hamstring worse. The, you're going to be in a spot where you just can't play him at all. We saw that with Mike Conley at times. We saw it with Colin Sexton last year. Obviously, every Jazz fan remembers the Carlos Boozer saga. You've just got to be really careful with hamstrings. So yeah, don't play. This week, he's not traveling with the team. And then uh, you come back home, you've got the Trailblazers on the 2nd. Yeah, you don't play again until the 6th. Like, definitely don't play against the Trailblazers. Yeah. Maybe you bring him back on the 6th or don't. Yeah, and then you can skip the Clippers game and you'll play on the 11th. And I know Jazz fans are like, what are you talking about? Don't sit him for two weeks just to sit him. It's like, it's a hamstring. you got to get it back to 100%. Otherwise, you're going to lose him for a long period of time and you're really not going to have a chance to win anything this year. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into our jazz grades. We'll look around the NBA and we'll answer your mailbag questions. Stick around. More jazz notes coming up. Welcome back to the Jazz Notes podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Hole from KSL Sports. Appreciate you tuning in. Let's take a quick look around the NBA. We will get to our Jazz grades, and then uh, we will answer the mailbag questions. Got some uh, coming in already, so appreciate you sending those in. Uh, quickly, Orlando, playing really well. Joe Ingles, yeah. uh, we kind of thought, like, well, what's he doing joining that team? Looks like a pretty smart move. Orlando has the third best record 
in the East right now at 12-5. and five. They won seven in a row. Yeah, and maybe most surprising is they have the second-best defense right now. Yeah. Like, you look at their team, and they have Jonathan Isaac. But outside of Jonathan Isaac, like, Wendell Carter's a decent rim protector, but who who else do they really have? They Paolo's drafted, a negative defender. They drafted Jalen Suggs, yes. which was smart, uh, and they don't even love him, which is funny. He's kind of always been on the trade block, but, you know, that's— they they've they've really prioritized length and athleticism, and we're like, well, that's what our identity is going to be. We're going to go with those types of guys when we draft, you know. And and if that works out, they're going to be in good shape. You know, Gary Harris is historically a very good wing defender, but he's only played twelve of their games so far. Like I remember, he was hurt to start the year for a stretch. So yeah, they're just they're playing well. They've got a good coach. Remember, he was the Dallas Mavericks assistant that. Luca really liked and wanted to be the the head coach, and they went out and got Jason Kidd, which I think also was kind of under Luca's blessing. But yeah, the the Orlando Magic coach is a is a very good coach. People liked him, Jamal Mosley, and uh, he's done a great job there. So yeah, good for him. Oh, and Anthony Black is an awesome defensive player. True. So uh, they've got some dudes. But yeah, they're on a seven game win streak, which is tied for the longest win streak in the NBA right now with the Suns, who are sitting third in the West. Um, they haven't had. KD or Beal for the past few games, but Booker has been carrying them. He had that crazy game winner in the Garden the other day. Um, and but, Wendell Carter's been out because he got hurt against the Jazz. Oh, yes. Um, but the Timberwolves, let's talk about the Timberwolves right now. They're at the top of the West, have a better record than the Nuggets. Uh, they're on a two-game win streak. They have the uh, best defense in the NBA. I said the Magic were second. They're the best. Um, and that's large part because of Rudy Gobert. He's been playing great so far this year. He's putting up basically 12-12 and two and a half blocks. I think Rudy's going to win his fourth Defensive Player of the Year award this year. Uh, especially if the Timberwolves have the number one overall defense in the NBA. But again, they drafted guys who can play both sides of the floor, which if you want to bring this back to a Jazz conversation, like I know Jazz fans are like frustrated not seeing Taylor Hendricks. It's like, it's going to take a minute, but that's a good thing. Like you drafted a two-way guy. That's what you needed. And like, yeah, he's not going to be a superstar and you draft him at nine. You want to get like the highest potential guy. It's like, no, sometimes you just need guys that play both ends of the floor. And I know Ochai is not where you want him to be right now, but like eventually I think he'll be a two-way guy and Walker's a two-way guy and Keontae busts his butt on the defensive end. Okay, you've got guys who are going to play both sides of the floor and you've drafted those guys. That's a good thing. Like it's not sexy score 20 points a game every night. That's not who those guys are. How many Timberwolves players are sexy outside of uh, Anthony Edwards? Like, truly not that many. Like, Cat mm. is not awesome. He can score. He does his things well. But, like, they would trade Cat for the right trade right now. But oh, definitely. Rudy Gobert, I always mix up his name, Jaden McDaniels. I always call him Jalen Daniels and because there's every different person on the planet. But, <laughs> yes, Jaden McDaniels is awesome defensively. Now, he was kind of a reach. Not a reach. They drafted him at, like, 29. But, like, he was really raw coming out of – High college and played one year at Washington, but he was like, but he's really probably going to be a good defensive player even if he can't shoot. Well, he's figured a couple things out, and he can really play hard. So Minnesota's awesome. I love Minnesota. I like that team. I love Anthony Edwards. I like Rudy Gobert a lot. Uh, I like Mike Conley a lot, so they're fun to watch. I watched them play the Thunder last night. It was a great game. Looking at Minnesota, Anthony Edwards is putting up 26, 6, and 5. And he's a legit star. Yes, yes. He has officially reached stardom. He's going to be an all-star, maybe even an all-star starter this year. Um but another thing, going back to uh, your comparison, talking about uh, the Magic and bringing it back to the Jazz with Taylor Hendricks, um, Taylor Hendricks is a project. There's a lot of NBA drafted players that are projects, and that's just something you have to live with. And it's not like the Jazz are competing for a lot right now. No, they're not. Right? They're not. Give him his time. You know, and maybe in, in year two or year three, I think that the Jazz would love if he could be the forward next to Laurie Markkinen in the starting lineup. He could bring defensively what Laurie Markkinen may lack since there isn't any pressure, bringing it back to Jalen Suggs, if Jalen Suggs isn't as amazing, he's on the trade block all the time because he's a young player and maybe the Magic are trying to look to win now. Um, 
the Jazz aren't in that position. Right. So you have plenty of time. Yep. You can go back and we can play this game of, of you know, do you want to have the best rookie or do you want to have the best second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year player? Of course you want to have the second, third, fourth, fifth year player. Like, who cares? And, and Malcolm Brogdon's a good player. He won rookie of the year. He was the best rookie that season. But, like, you're taking Jalen Brown and you're taking Pascal Siakam and you're taking Brandon Ingram and you're taking Demonis Sabonis and you're taking Jamal Murray over him. It's like, but they weren't better than he was his first year. Who cares? Yes. And honestly, who cares? Like, it was cool that Malcolm was good early. But if he's not the best third-year player or fourth-year player, it really doesn't matter how good you are. You're a rookie year. I know we all want immediate results. Uh, get the guy who's best in his third year, his fourth year, his fifth year. It has much longer payoff and better payoff and more important because even the best rookies don't help their teams win that much. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Anything else around the NBA we want to check in on? Uh, Milwaukee. I mean, they're they're climbing up the East right now. They are, um, let me check, they're second in the East, 13-5, and five, and Lillard has looked a lot better the past week. For all the hand-wringing that was going on, uh, it seems like those two have finally figured it out. Yeah, and, and you know, I do the thing. Sometimes I don't get to watch every game, and I'll go back and just kind of look at the box scores. And just looking at the last couple of games, like, Dame and Giannis both have 30 every night now. Yes. Like, that was the issue was Dame was shooting, like, 3 of 14. It was like he doesn't know where to get his shots from, and they're not going in. And now all of a sudden he's dialed in, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, Giannis is unguardable, and now Dame is unguardable. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> and uh, that's going to be the issue for every team going forward. If those two can stay healthy— which always is going to be the major question, but yeah, if they can stay healthy, they're going to be in a they're going to be in a good spot, and it seems like they've figured it out relatively quickly. Let's look around the uh, in season tournament really quickly as well. That was kind of finally decided in the NBA. The brackets are set. The eight teams that will eventually be pared down to four teams, and they will go to Las Vegas to compete. But the uh, quarterfinals in the East feature the Celtics and the Pacers. Pacers out of nowhere, good for yeah. them. They're playing really well. Uh, and in the West, the Pelicans and the Kings. Uh, and then the Knicks are at the Bucks, and the Suns are at the Lakers. Okay, of those teams, I guess I would have said I recognize the Celtics, the Kings, the Bucks, and the Suns and the Lakers as being like, okay, yeah, that makes total sense. I guess I probably could have picked those teams. Jazz ended up in a much tougher bracket. They got both uh, the Lakers and the Suns coming out of the Western Conference, the wild card team, and the number one seed overall. Uh, so that'll be a good matchup. But this is going to be fun. I mean, outside of – and like I even like the Pacers – Maybe outside of Pelicans Kings, like these are pretty good matchups. This yeah. is what the NBA wants. These are games that people are going to pay attention to. I think that the most underrated game here is Pacers versus Celtics because the Celtics have a tremendous defense. They're top five uh, defensive rating in the NBA, but the Pacers are putting up like 150 points a yeah. night. So uh, that'll be great. Tyrese Halliburton has been playing out of his mind. Um, and then Bucks Knicks should be pretty good too. I feel like Knicks are one of the more inconsistent teams, especially when you're led by a player like Julius Randle. Um, so I think I would pick the Bucks and Celtics to advance over there. And then Lakers-Suns should be a great game, especially if we get uh, KD and or Beal playing in those games. And it seems like Lakers want to win these games. They may yes. not want to win other games, but they are motivated <laughs> by that $500,000 for each each player. So, yeah, and then they will go to Vegas. And this is this is a success. Yeah. This oh, has been a success. Definitely. Uh, people are going to watch these games. The NBA is very happy that the best players are paying attention. I mean, you've got Jason Tatum, who's a top 10 player. You've got Zion Williamson, who's not a top 10 player, but is a huge name that people will pay attention to. You've got the New York Knicks as a brand. You've got Giannis and Dame, who are both, if you know, maybe Dame's not top 10, but he's top 20 and he's has right huge name value. Giannis might be the best player in the NBA. If not, he's number two. Devin Booker and KD are both top 10. LeBron's still top 10. Anthony Davis can be top 10. Like, this worked. Yeah. This totally worked. This is what the NBA is dreaming of. You could, yeah, maybe sub in one or two other teams instead of the Pelicans and the Kings, but... That'll even generate some local interest, which is good. You'll have like these other teams saying, like, hey, they had a chance to go and play in Las Vegas, and that was cool. So uh, overwhelming success, good for the NBA. Yeah, and I think that the biggest thing is the— 
I think that the NBA had a problem, especially among casual fans, is that a lot of people just will turn, uh, tune in near the end of the season, catch the playoffs. Uh, but now you're generating some interest early in the season, so I think that that's the biggest success. All right, let's do our Jazz grades. We've looked around the NBA. We like to do this every week. We look at the veterans, the young players, where the Jazz sit in the standings. And then, is this team any fun? Do we, we grade the uh, fun factor of the Utah Jazz? And I think that's something that's easy to overlook. Are you enjoying watching basketball and the team that you watch as a Jazz fan? Uh, and uh, we will answer those here. All right, Jazz veterans, which is, you know, everyone except the young players. Yes. <laughs> um, I thought it was an interesting week from the veterans. Like the first two games, like we said, the loss to the, to the Portland. Like an F, truly an yeah, F. Yeah, for the, for the first two games. And then you go into the, the fourth game, the most recent game against the Pelicans. Keontae sort of led the squad there. Um, let me see if there's any notable performances from the veterans. I mean, Simone, if you want to count him, now he's still a young I'd player. I'd probably call him as a young guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then John Collins puts up 12 Jordan Clarkson puts up 16 on 4 for 16 shooting. I think it's been rough for the veterans for the past uh, four games. I'm going to go with C, C minus. Yeah, I might, I might go with the D plus yeah. in all honesty. Uh, some assist numbers have been nice. Maybe that's been where they've been the most positive. Jordan Clarkson over the last week has averaged 5.7 assists. Uh, Kelly Olenek's been at 4.3. Taylor Horton Tucker's been at 4.8. And, and they've won two of the games, but like... Man, Taylor Horton Tucker shooting twenty one percent over his last four games. Yes, he's been he's been almost unplayable. Colin Sexton shooting thirty nine percent now. He's he had the big fourth quarter against the Pelicans on Saturday. Jordan Clarkson's been pretty dreadful. I know he's hurt, you know, but yeah, they've they've been bad. The veterans have been bad. So I'll say D plus. You want to say C minus? We'll round up. We'll go with the C minus. Yeah, um, I actually have an interesting stat for uh, Kelly Olynyk. Uh, looking at points per possession. So basically, when this player is on or off the floor, this is how many more points the team will score. Uh, Kelly Olynyk has the highest uh, points per possession effect on the Jazz at 10.9. He's the in the 92 percentile of all NBA players. He's a very great basketball player. Yes. It's why he's in the NBA at 10. This is his 11th season in the NBA. He doesn't look like an NBA player. You don't notice everything he does every game, but he always has four assists, five rebounds, three fouls because he's fouling at the right time. He's not committing stupid fouls for the most part. He does some, but for the most part, he commits smart fouls, shoots efficiently, so he just he's a great basketball player and you know every championship contender wants Kelly Olynyk yes. and should want them. I know I say it every week but it's true and it's why I will be surprised if he's on the Jazz roster at the end of the season because he should fetch a pretty high price and the Jazz are probably still going to find themselves in asset acquisition mode and he's going to want to start winning. He's yeah. you know like I wouldn't blame Kelly if he didn't want to resign in Utah next year like to be a part of a rebuilding team where they want to play Taylor Hendricks over you. Mm-hmm. Go somewhere else man. Go yeah. win. And uh he would be helpful for a lot of places. Moving on to young players, uh, we're basically just looking at Keontae, uh, Ochai, and uh, Simone Fontecchio and here. And Walker in there, too, because oh, Walker yes, played yeah, the last Walker. two games. Yep, uh, past two games. Um, I think this is much higher than the veteran grade. Um, I think it's somewhere in the Bs. I don't know if I want to go as high as B+, because still have been some struggles, but I'm going to go with a flat B. I might go with a B+, because it's the best we've seen from Walker Kessler this year. Keontae George sets the season high. He's not shooting the ball well, but the first time he's led the Jazz in scoring. In a game they won, had the ridiculous dunk, like did some really great things. Simone, underrated. We'll talk about him. We got a mailbag question about Simone. He's been playing unreal. Yes. So Simone's been an A. I think Keontae's been like a B. Walker's been close to an A. Uh, so if I take those guys in, I'm say, yeah, that's that's a really high level. You know what? I'm gonna look at the Keontae George post riser dunk and join you at B plus just B+. for the dunk. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a B plus. Those guys yeah. are those guys are cooking. Yeah, that's uh, been good. and that's what Jazz fans want to see. Ochai again is even over his last four games, 45 percent from the floor, 35 percent from three. He had that 0 for five game I think in Portland. So he was just dreadful. Yeah, but like has actually played okay other than that. So uh, so uh, yeah, young guys.
doing well. That's what Jazz fans want to see. Good for them. They're, they've been part of the reason why they've been winning games. So, uh, yeah, B-plus, I'll take that. Moving on to the standings, um, Jazz currently sit at 12th in the West, record of 6-11. and 11. They're a game and a half out of the postseason picture from being the 10th seed. Um, Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. As bad as they've been, they're a game and a half back yeah. of, the, of the Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're never out of it in the NBA anymore. D-plus? Yeah, I was about to say, I think we give like a D, D-minus when they were lower than that, so maybe go up to a D-plus. Because the truth is, if you had asked me last week at this time, what should the Jazz do over the next four games, I probably would have said two and two. You split the games with the Pelicans, and you beat the Trailblazers on the road. Yeah. And you did. You got two and two. Now, you didn't win the games we thought you were going to win, but you did go two and two, so I guess in that sense it's fine. But yeah, you're five games under five hundred, and you could easily lose back-to-back games this week with Memphis and uh, Minnesota coming up uh, tonight and tomorrow night. If you lose to Memphis, you're going to be in bad, a bad spot. Yeah. So, yeah, D plus, C minus, right in that range. Looking at fun factor now, if you asked us before the weekend when the Jazz were coming off of four straight losses, we probably would have been in the F. FD range. Yeah, yeah, it was really, Easy really F. bad. Yeah. Um, but after two straight wins and then going into the games that look like you have two out of the next three games are pretty winnable, you'll probably lose to Minnesota. Um, but as of right now, fun factor. Had some good highlights the past few games. Yep. Um, Let's go with a B, B, B minus. I'll go B minus. Yeah. Yeah. The first two games were unwatchable, yeah. bad, but the last two games were A games. Those yeah. were really fun games. I mean, coming down to huge moments, needing big plays, and your young players stepping up and making big plays. That's that's everything you want to see with this Jazz basketball team. So they went from two Fs to arguably two A's. Yeah. So yeah, I'll give them a B, B minus. Yeah. And also, uh, I know we're not talking about the two games against the Suns, but I would say that those were two of the more, like, probably about as fun of a loss as you can get in both of those games. Two really close games. Second one went to double OT. We could talk about that game for a second. Uh, Laurie Markkinen has a, a putback at the end to force OT. And then Colin Sexton has a— Yeah, that was a, a great game. Yeah, it was. It was a great game. And then uh, Colin Sexton in OT, uh, in OT grabs a putback as well and that puts it in. a buzzer beater, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was a great game. But, yeah, B-minus for fun factor? Yeah, I think that's fine, uh, which is good for a 6-11 and 11 team. There's a lot of, you know, like you can't watch the Washington Wizards right now. No. You oh, can't, my goodness. I wouldn't want to watch the Trailblazers right now. The Grizzlies are unwatchable. The Clippers are unwatchable because they're so far below expectation. Uh, at 7-9, and nine, they're better than the Jazz, but they are so far below expectations that they're unwatchable. The Jazz at least have a little bit of watchability. Talking about unwatchable, Detroit's on a 14-game losing streak. They've won four games since Valentine's Day. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, I mean, that's February of last year. That's the yeah. trade deadline last year. It's when the Jazz. Do you remember when the Jazz traded Mike Conley? Like I remember that night. <laughs> They've won four games since then. How do you trade Cade Cunningham? Like get get rid of all your guys. Yeah, it's I bad. You've got nothing. It's, I don't know what to do. Jazz fans, it could be worse. Look at the Detroit oh, Pistons. Man. It could be so much worse. And they've like they've got Monty Williams, who I think is a good coach. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, disastrous. You're certainly not dealing with that because that's not. It's not even coverable. There's nothing mm. to talk about there when you lose 15 games in a row. You're looking at the draft picks again already? Like, that is, that's obnoxious. That's boring. Yeah. All right, let's get your jazz mailbag. Uh, as always, follow me at Ben's Hoops. Follow Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL. Uh, we like to send out this prompt asking you to uh, send your questions in, and we'll answer them on the mailbag. Always a fun thing to do. Josh Chisholm. Do you want to read these? Do you want yeah. me to read them? Yeah, Go I ahead. Get them. Uh, yeah, first up from Josh Chisholm. Uh, what do you think about the in-season tournament? Are you surprised with how well uh, Simone has played lately? Uh, I think we addressed the in-season tournament pretty good. Yeah. Successful, even for the teams that didn't lose or that didn't make it. I think they'll enjoy having a little bit of a break. Yes. Uh, and the games were fun. I think people like the jerseys. People like the court. Uh, so that was successful. Simone's been tearing it up. And I, I would have said a week ago, literally a week ago at this time, like I don't know if Simone's an NBA player after this year. I'm almost positive not only... Like, is he a member of the Jazz? Like, he's going to get free agent 
a real look in free agency from a lot of teams. Yes. Because guys who shoot that well and play like their hair's on fire and like can actually defend a little bit. Like he's not just a like a borderline NBA guy. Like he's a borderline rotation player on a really good team. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, going back to the stat that I said about Olenek with the positive points per possession, uh, Fontecchia was one of five uh, Jazz players who actually are positive in that stat. So when he's on the floor, the Jazz perform better than when he's off the floor, basically. As uh, Will Hardy said this week, he's a warrior. Yeah. And that's kind of how he plays. He's shooting 47% from the floor, 40% from three right now. Like he's turning into the guy that he was in Italy, but he's finding a way to do it in a role player yes. spot. Uh, and he's been starting, and that's been helping. I don't know if there's a starting spot for him going forward. But, like, in all honesty, if you wanted to say, like, how do you stagger John Collins and Walker Kessler? Like, maybe you put Lowry at the four to start, which is not his preferred position, but then you start Walker at the five and you have Simone at the three. And then you take, you know, Walker off the floor and put John Collins in or however you want to do that. You can stagger those minutes. But Simone's playing well enough in the front court as a six, seven wing that not a lot of those guys exist that shoot the ball that well in the NBA. They have real value. So he's been great. Yeah, he's been really good. Uh, moving on next up from Glenn Anderson, uh, more likely scenario, make a trade and push for the playoffs or trade away players and race for the bottom. I'm still going to say race for the bottom. Yeah, race for the bottom. Of those two options, I think that the Jazz could continue where they are, maybe make like a, a smaller trade or two and then just sort of continue on their path. But of those two, I think it's more likely that they race for the bottom. It's also not pressing. Yes. But the most realistic scenario I see still is the Jazz being X amount of games below 500 in mid-January and saying, well... We're going to get more value out of switching to Taylor Hendricks and maybe Bryce Sensabaugh than trading for some Band-Aid pick on an expiring contract and giving up a first rounder just to make the playoffs this year to lose that first to another team and then lose that player in free agency. Like, yeah. I just, I, it doesn't make that much sense. Yeah. Um, interesting question from this, though. If you're racing for the bottom, right, you're probably going to trade away a player who has had a positive impact on your team. Who do you think that would be for the Jets? Kelly, number one. Simone could be in that conversation if you think, like, man, we're reading the room. He's going to get some money elsewhere. Even though I think he actually fits the timeline for the Jazz, he could be a long-term piece here. But, like, man, guys who shoot threes are are so valuable. A guy who could step in, like, he could be Bruce Brown for a team in a playoff run. Like, he's not that good. But, like, the team's just like, hey, man, we, we need another guy who we think can shoot well be a little bit of an X-factor. We trust him for 12 minutes a game and eight minutes a game in the playoffs, and he's not going to lose the game for us, and he's going to try really hard and just has, like, a lot of basketball knowledge because he's played in Europe as long as he has. Like, he might be a sneaky, good trade piece for a team. But I don't know how much the Jazz would get back for him is the problem. Yeah. It might be just better to hold on to him. But I think he might be able to actually get something decent for Kelly Olynyk with his expiring contract and his uh, his veteran experience. I would throw Sexton into that group as well. If if you think Sexton can help you win, which I'm yeah. worried, I, I wonder if teams are going to wonder if actually Colin Sexton can help you win. And I, you know, I wouldn't eliminate Jordan Clarkson from this conversation either. And I'm not saying the Jazz should trade any of these guys. I'm just saying, as NBA teams look around or like, hey, we need a scoring punch. We need a guy who can give me 30 in a night. Jordan is one of the few players in the league that can give you 30 on any given night, and uh, and it's just like a beloved person, a beloved player. So uh, he will have some value as well. Uh, one more from Glenn Anderson. He just asked Zach Levine question mark. I'm assuming uh, maybe do the Jazz want to trade, get in on the uh, Zach Levine sweepstakes, or um, maybe he's just asking where we think that Zach Levine will go. I'm not a huge Zach Levine guy. Yeah, in all honesty, he just he's hurt a lot. It's going to cost a lot to get him because his numbers look pretty good. I mean, they're not great. He's at 21 points, five rebounds, three assists, 
shooting 44% from the floor, 33% from three. He just doesn't play enough games for me. I know he played 77 last year, which was a good sign. He was 67 the year before that, 50 the year, 58 the year before that. Now that was coming out of COVID, so the season was a little bit shortened. And he's made two all-star teams in those years, but uh, I just if there's a lot of numbers and not a lot of winning. Yes. And I'd like the Jazz are full of that those guys. Yeah. Like Colin Sexton's that guy. Jordan Clarkson's that guy. John Collins is that guy. Larry Markin has been that guy. Like how many guys do you want that score a lot and don't win? Yeah. And when you are when your problem is turning the ball over in defense, you're not going to trade for Zach Levine. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, he's always over two yeah. and a half assists or two and a half turnovers a game. He's yeah. just kind of that person. Yes, and also I think that um, Zach Levine. I think the Bulls were at their best, of course, when Lonzo Ball was playing. Lonzo Ball is a very good defender from the point guard position. I think that that's sort of what you need next to Zach Levine, and you don't really have that unless you start Chris Dunn. Um, but Keontae it seems like sort of has that spot locked up for now. So yeah, it just. One of my favorite quotes, I've said this a lot, I'm sorry I'm beating a dead horse, but Calvin Booth, the GM or VP of basketball ops for the uh, Denver Nuggets, he said, overlap is a silent killer, which is when you have too many guys that do the same thing, it kills you. Yes. It's why I think Omer Yurtsevin's been valuable for the Jazz in the starting lineup, or Walker Kessler's valuable, because Kelly and Lowry just do kind of some of the same things, and maybe the problem is they don't, the things they don't do are similar. They're not great defensive players. They're okay, but they're not great defensive players. So when you put just a guy who does some of those things, like protects the rim, rebounds, you know, block shots, that really stands out against Lowry Markinen or stands out against Kelly Olynyk. But you put them together, or you throw John Collins in there in that group, and they kind of all do the same things. It just gets repetitive, and it's not all that effective. So. Zach Levine does so many of the same things that the Jazz already actually kind of do okay that I don't think he makes a ton of sense here. Yeah, definitely not. Thank you guys for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast. We will be back next Tuesday. Uh, the Jazz will have played the Memphis Grizzlies, Minnesota Timberwolves, and Portland Trailblazers. Until then, um, hopefully we can go 2-3 and three in those games. Yeah, and if you didn't get your question answered today, uh, you don't hear it on the podcast, still send it in or you can uh, send it in on threads, but you can reply to the uh, Twitter post as well, and I will answer them in an article coming up before the end of the week uh, so you can still get your question answered more in-depth if you didn't hear it on the podcast. Yeah, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Tune in, and uh, we'll catch you next week. <laughs>